This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. About how to master free will. Each one of us has choice. You have choice. That's what makes you human. Okay? A cow has choice too, but the cow's choices are between daisies and the grass, the tall grass over there. I mean, they also choose. A monkey chooses between bananas and nuts. And we have that choice too. You can choose pizza or, you know, or get a burger. You can go to dinner or a movie. So we have that level of choice, but we also have a much greater level of choice. And that greater level of choice that we have is called free will. And it's really our true free will. And that choice of free will that we have is really between the body voice and the soul voice. So everyone take a minute and just listen to the voice inside your head. Take a second. Listen to that voice inside your head. You're not going to hear it if you're talking. But listen for a second. Voice inside my head. What voice inside my head? What's the time on a voice inside my head? That's the voice in your head. You understand? There's a voice in your head. It's called your thoughts. You can only think one at a time. You think thousands and thousands a day. But that is how you relate to reality. You think I'm teaching this class? I'm not teaching this class. I'm just putting out sound waves. It's hitting your eardrums. Those, those, then your, your brain puts it together as words. But each one of you has your own life experience. You're going to hear it differently. Everyone's going to hear what I'm saying differently. So the voice in your head is really teaching the class, not me. So the first thing to get aware of is that voice. Once you get aware of the fact that there's a voice in your head that's doing your thinking for you, so you're being much more objective now. Wow, thanks so much. It feels purchased. <laughs> Was it? Appreciate it. So the, the voice in your head, it's really important to know that because otherwise you think you live in reality. As opposed to your interpretation of reality. I mean, you guys tell me, where do you live? In reality or your interpretation of reality? Interpretation. Interpretation of reality. Sometimes you're right on the money. Sometimes you're not. But once you realize your voice in your head is what's telling you, you know, it's what's interpreting reality, you'll notice you stop fighting as much with others. You get, a, you stop trying to be right all the time. Because think about it, when two people are fighting and trying to be right, it's insane. Because first of all, if there is a right, it'll prove itself to be true. If it's true, if there is such a thing as right in this situation, it'll prove itself to be true. But you're really saying is my interpretation versus his interpretation. Why would you fight about such things? Whatever is real will be real. Why bother? It's the way the world occurs to you versus the way the world occurs to him. But either way, the way the world occurs to you, it doesn't. You don't live in in reality. You live in your interpretation of reality, which is fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But you do want to get good at living in reality. Like if you're if you've got a scientific background, act more scientifically. Stop getting so upset. For example, if someone gives you a dirty look, you know, if someone gives you a look like mm, sneers at you like that, 
You know, you don't know. The guy might have gas. You understand? But you, but you know how you could go into a three-day spiral over that. You know, over that look, because you're living in the interpretation of a reality that of someone who just, you know, was squinting. So you, you, your, your life will be a lot happier if you just get more involved in reality and less involved in in your interpretation of reality. Okay. Now we have free will. The reason I wanted you to get in touch with the voice in your head is because there are many players inside your head, but there's two major players inside your head. One player inside your head is the body. Your body has a voice just like an animal has a voice. The voice of animals is survival and reproduction. Those are the two voices of animals. Survival and reproduction. For human beings, that's basically money and sex. Okay? And think about it. Like if you had a pie chart of how much your mind was occupied with those two things. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So, and this is the animal kingdom. This is the animal kingdom. This is the human kingdom. Okay? And by the way, the billions of dollars in marketing, if they can't come up with a creative ad, they know they can always fall back on these two things. These two things will always work. You know, if it's a fancier neighborhood, so they'll put a little more sophisticated type of advertisement. But if they couldn't come up with one that month, even in the fancy neighborhood, they'll they'll go back to the tried and true. Because you share this with an animal, the animal kingdom, because you are part animal. You are part animal. I'm part animal. Okay, if you put me in an MRI machine and you put a primate in an MRI machine right next to him, do a split screen. We don't look that different. Okay, the soul doesn't come up on MRI. Okay, I have a very strong animal instinct. I am a, I am also an animal, but different than the animal, I've got another voice, a whole different voice, and that's what we call the soul voice. So there's the animal voice, animal voice, and then there's what's called the. Soul voice. Is that the sliver in the pie chart? Yeah, this this might be the sliver in your pie chart. You know, we'll just put it there, okay? The animal voice and the soul voice. Well, I don't think your guy's soul voice is a sliver um, because look what you just did. I mean, you just flew to Israel. I mean, look who's teaching your class. You understand? Like, I mean, unless you bumped your head and went crazy, somehow your soul voice spoke up. It could be that they partially got you on this trip by appealing your animal voice. Do you guys have any touring or get to go to any beaches or like have some fun and go to town and drink? I hope you're going to have a beer with me. We've got to schedule, schedule a beer with me. But uh, we'll speak to Rabbi Goldstein about that. You guys call him Rabbi Goldstein? Goldstein. <laughs> and who's Rabbi Sfi? Yeah? He's not in the room, bro. You can speak the truth. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's talking about me. <laughs> oh, you're saying he? Oh. Okay, listen up. So, so the, uh, anyway, but that, 
it could be they appealed. By the way, you do have to appeal to the animal voice. You have to appeal to my animal voice to get me to do something. Like, for example, try telling me that I'm going to sit and study Torah all day without promising me a mountain bike ride at the end of the day. It won't work. And then I just won't. I won't sit and study all day. I know I look very rabbinic and everything, but I, I told you enough about my background to know that 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 still bleeds through, you would imagine. So I will not sit and study all day without a mountain bike ride at the end of the day. There's got to be something, you know. Um, things like that. I tell, uh, you know, I get phone calls from America all the time saying, help our Hasidic kid who's now dancing at night in Manhattan. So... You know, I tell them, I'd love to help your kid, you know, send me a hundred bucks a session. You know, the, you know, I, shouldn't I just have my soul voice want to help this kid? Yeah? No. And the answer is yes, I should. But you gotta, you, you know, you gotta feed the animal a bit, you know, because that's gonna be time away from something else. It's gonna be time away from my kids, it's gonna be time away from something. Time away from mountain biking, time away, meaning what, I could do it. And I will do it, by the way. I do it. But now the kid calls me the next week. And he calls me the next week. And he calls me the next week. I tell the parents, listen, I'd love to help your kid for free. But if you want to keep him on the top of my agenda, you've got to talk to my animal. You understand? I don't, I'm not saying I'm not a good guy and I'm taking bribes here. This is, I'm, I'm also a trained therapist. You know, this is, I've been trained for many years. And I, and I, you know, I deserve to be paid for what I've trained for. But... But the uh, you understand, you got to talk to the animal. You can't deny the animal. The animal will go along with you. The animal will actually let you go to Israel. It will let you go to Israel. It will even let you pay attention in class. My animal is a little upset about the power of this air conditioning here. What's going on? <laughs> is there something, maybe the fan, is it pushing hard? No. Maybe this the intake's blocked. Is there an intake underneath there that's being blocked for some reason? Maybe we should keep a creative flow, or is it just more heat? Uh, we tried that last time. Okay, but you guys got the point. Is that there's the animal and there's a soul, and you got to be a good negotiator because you want to build this. We're going to talk about why you want to build that that little sliver there. I was 23. What? Me? You understand? I look just like you when I flip. So don't call it flipping. I didn't flip. If I flipped into this one day, that would be a flip. This this went off. I don't think I looked like this for eight years. I mean, I was fully observant for like eight years before I got into this kind of an outfit. I dressed like this probably my entire first year for sure. You know, except that was in a tank top. Okay? So, alright. Here we go. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out which soul, which voice is speaking. And there's a reason why you want to get more involved in the soul voice than the body voice. You want to keep that building. Now you want to know why? You ready for this? Because you'll be happier. <laughs> Any of you learn e economics here? Anyone study economics? Yeah. Remember there was something called the law of diminishing returns? Yeah. The animal voice, you know, it's cute and sweet and everything, but, but not so satisfying. 
and in a generation where you can get whatever you want basically on your computer screen, you can get it quick. See, in the old days, the animal voice could fool you for more years. Because you, you might have had to work for 10, 15 years just to get what you wanted. So, you know, by that time, you already got some wisdom along the way and everything and whatever. But, the, but today, you can get it all now. But there's a problem because there's something called the law of diminishing returns. And for those who don't know what that law is, it's very simple. It's basically your last bite of pizza tastes nothing like the first. Okay? Your last sip of beer tastes nothing like the first. That's why you save your bad beer for later and drink the good beer first. Okay? It's because once you've had it, it's less. And I'm sure you've experienced this with women as well. That, you know, which much to their demise because you move on and they're broken hearted. But that's the, called the law of diminishing returns. So the body voice is like a carrot in front of a horse. Where it gets, it gets you moving, it gets you to act. But the problem is, is that's your whole life. If that's your whole life, then you get sick of carrots after a while. To the point where you realize you're not even getting it. You know what I'm saying? You don't, you're not even getting the carrot. Who, who in their life, raise your hand if you realize, like, you're not even, like, the carrots you're getting aren't even, you're really not getting it in the end. Raise your hand if you've, like, started to, you're kind of, like, saturated already and you're not, okay? And that's disturbing. That's a disturbing feeling because what are you going to wake up for the next day? If you already noticed that when you get what you were going for, it didn't give you what you wanted. So this is part of the problem. Uh, the animal voice is never satisfied. Let me give it to you in a poem, and I think it'll just be right between the eyes. Ready for a poem? Okay. It was written by a great, great rabbi, Rabbi uh, Shlomo Karlebach, who who used to tour in, in the former Soviet Union. You know, at the risk of his life sometimes. You know, he, uh, he used to smuggle into the former Soviet Union to fill in and sidurim and talises and kippahs, and he would tour and play music and give them away. And uh, there was once, uh, when he was on his way to back to the airport, a uh, Ukrainian Jew had heard about him giving away stuff, and he just, his whole life, all he wanted was uh, a pair to fill in and he comes to the rabbi at the airport. He says, are you Rabbi Karlebach? He says, yes. And he says, he says, do you have any more tefillin? And he says, no, I've given them all away. I only have my own. And uh, he says, I do have just one more talis. He says, I just got my own set. And he says, do you have any more kippot? Just a kippot would be nice. He says, I've given it all away. And the guy just was broke and started crying. Because he, he had the dream always to have his own pair of tefillin. And, uh, and so the rabbi was so broken that he just handed him his talus and tefillin, took his keep off his head and put it on his head, and flew back to Europe and then flew to, he flew back to, uh, I think he was going to the U.S., and without a kippah. And, but he never stops learning, so he's learning the whole time. And a uh, rabbi saw him on the plane going to New York, and he said, Shlomo, is this what's become of you touring the world? You don't, you don't even wear a kippah anymore? Yeah. If he only knew. So the so he says, listen to this poem. When, when I'm hungry for bread, I'll lie. When I'm hungry for God, 
I tell the truth. When I'm hungry for bread, I'll steal. When I'm hungry for God, I give. When I'm hungry for bread, I'll kill. When I'm hungry for God, I give life. When I'm hungry for bread, I'm so empty. When I'm hungry for God, I'm so full. You see, when it's a physical thing you go for, the bummer part is trying to get it, and then you get it. And then there's a law of diminishing returns. So it looks something like this. It's like bummer, 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 bummer. I get it. And then it's the law of diminishing returns. Okay, it looks like that. It looks kind of like a wave. Okay? So, right? You work really hard for it, and you work really hard, and then you get it. And then it's the law of diminishing returns. Fine? When you're hungry for God, what goes on is like this. It's like, looks like this. It's um, going for it, going for it, going for it, going for it. I guess eventually you die. You never get it in this life. I mean, anyone ever get God? Like, what does it mean to get God? You never get it. But the entire lifetime is fulfilling. You understand? The entire lifetime is fulfillment. So it's very interesting. Like, on the one hand, the, the first one, the animal voice, you only get your fulfillment when you get it. And then kind of goes away. With the soul voice, you, you're getting it the whole time, but you never got it. It's the strangest thing. You understand? Like, for example, would you say my life probably has been more fulfilled as a result of my being more into pursuing my soul voice? My life, I'll just tell you, much more fulfilled. I'm not going around with an empty feeling. I'm going around very full. Did I ever get God? It's already, I'm here 18 years. Ever get God? No. I've had tremendous clarity. I've had epiphanous moments. I've felt very close. But I, but getting God, you can't get God while you're in the matrix. You understand? You're never going to get God while you're down here. Yet, incredibly fulfilled. Do I still have a body voice? For sure. Okay. Here we go. So what we're going to do is we're going to learn how to master we're going to learn how to master the ability of choice between the body and the soul okay you got it I'm going to master that so the first thing you need to know in mastering between the body and the soul is to be constantly choosing guys what are we going to do in here you guys okay? We're just going to sweat it out? Yeah? Maybe if we open that door, that'll help. Would that help? You've tried that already, too? Hot air coming in? Okay, that's cool. We're doing... Just tell your body you're going to promise it something afterwards. Okay, so number one is constant. And constant means... That you have to... Ch- that you choose... At all times, you make choices at all times. Let me explain very simply. Uh, Raise your hands if you chose to come to Jerusalem. Okay, very good. And when did you get here? 
Monday. Monday? Okay. Raise your hand if you chose to be in Jerusalem today. So where did you come from? Oh, you were thinking of leaving, you decided not to? It wasn't, I just didn't consciously choose to leave. Okay, my, that was not my question. I want to know who chose to be in Jerusalem today. Absolutely. You did? Yes. Did you? Yes. Yeah, because you came from somewhere else, or you no. thought of leaving? No, I was in Tel Aviv last night. Excellent. You chose to be here today? Yes. So do you see how he's on a higher level of free will than we are? We woke up here. We're going to catch up to him right now. We're going to do a quick exercise to catch up to him. Uh, what's your name again? Alec. Alec, sorry. Alec. Um, Alex on a higher level, free will, based on step one. You understand? This is these steps are how to master free will, getting mastery over your free will. So Alex on a higher level because he was in Tel Aviv and he chose to be here, whereas we all woke up here. I'm, I'm in I'm in your boat. Yeah. I I have not chosen to be in Jerusalem yet today. Okay, so everyone, take a moment. Just take a moment and choose to be in Jerusalem now. As if you're walking around in your hometown and someone walked up to you and said, hey, would you like to go to Jerusalem? You're like, duh. Yeah. And, and you say, yeah. And, and then, boom, here you are. Like, like Alec did. Okay, so be here. How many of you chose your seat? Or that's just the seat you fell into? Okay, so choose the seat you're in. How many chose your posture? Okay, so everyone take a moment, choose a posture. Okay, how many are choosing to be aware of your breath? Probably hardly anyone because it's involuntary. You, you breathe involuntarily. So choose to be conscious of that. How many chose to be with me this hour or I'm just the guy in the program? I'm the guy in the program. You don't know who I am to choose to be with me. You know how that feels? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Just think about it. Like, if you guys knew who I was and chose to come here, think of the difference of that to me just being on your schedule for how it feels for me. So, I mean, we've gotten to know each other a bit. I at least told you about me a bit. Can you choose to be here so you're with me? Okay? I mean, and I can tell you a bit about myself. Like, for example, do you think it's easy to be doing this right now in front of all you guys? To be standing up here? Someone else want to, someone else want to try? You know, it's not, it's not that easy. You know, I've got a, I'm a real person. I got my own doubts and fears. I got my own embarrassment. You know, I got my own successes and failures. I've got, I also have parents who would be devastated if something went wrong. You know, I'm, I'm a real human being. Choose to be with me in, the, in this room this hour. Do you see the difference in number one? I just drew you into being with me as opposed to just being someone on your schedule. And give the same benefit to the next rabbi. But not only that, how about the guys on your trip? Are these just the guys who came on the trip? So choose choose to be with these guys on your trip. Make sure there isn't one of them that's kind of on the outs. Like all these guys are hanging and cool and this guy's kind of like not part of... No, choose him. He's not just on your trip. That's a real human being with parents who care about him, with his own doubts and fears, with his own needs and desires and, and, and feelings. Choose the people on your trip. They're not random people who happen to be on your trip. 
you could treat them that way. But if you want to be a master of free will, choose them on your trip. Like you choose me. I'm still here. They're still there on your trip. But it's a very different experience to be on a schedule or be part of the roster of names to being someone you choose to have part of your trip. When I have smaller classes, we actually go around. People come around and you stand in front of the class and everyone says, I choose you. You know, I choose to be with you on this trip. And we actually go around and do it like that. I mean, when there's like eight people on a trip or something. Because they're all like looking at each other like, you're just some random guy on my trip. No, you're on his trip for him. So start choosing that. Yeah. Well, isn't it just as powerful to choose not to be with people? As far as like on a purely scientific level of choice? Yeah. Yeah, it was purely scientifically. It's not as inspiring. It's not as inspiring. But you're right. That would be a strong act of free will. If you got up and left right now, on a purely scientific level of what it means to be a master of free will, that would be... That'd be powerful. Wouldn't be inspiring, probably, but it'd be powerful. I don't think you get as much out of the this class out there as you would in here. Okay, got number one. Why do we bring this up, though? So the answer is the, the, <laughs> I want to see too. The, the reason why we bring this up. Who's this guy over here? <laughs> Stay with me. What's your name? Alice. Hang in there, Alice. The reason we bring this up is I've got a question for you guys. Ready for this? I'm going to ask you two questions. Okay? Here's God. Okay, God's creating the world. Okay, there's past. Here's present. Here's future. Okay, past, present, future. Now, I got a question for you guys. Given that God's outside of space and time, okay, God's not in the matrix with us, God's beyond space and time. My question is, is God aware of past, present, and future? No. If he's out, if God's outside the system of space and time, but creating it, is God aware of everything that happened, is happening, and will happen? Yeah, he's totally outside the system. You know, he's totally aware of it. Meaning, if you have a little mouse farm, and you're, it's your mouse farm, this mouse isn't aware of what's going on over there because you've got all these different obstacles that he would have to see, see through. You're, you are aware, though, because you're standing over it. You can see what's going on over there, and you can see what's going on over here. God has that perspective. Now, question two, and don't answer quickly. Is God creating right now Past, present, and future? Meaning where God interfaces with the actual created world. When is that going on? That's going on now. you got to realize that it's, it, it would be really stupid for God to create yesterday. Yesterday already happened. And it would be really stupid for God to create tomorrow. God's aware of what happened yesterday and a thousand years ago, etc. And aware of what will happen tomorrow and in the future. But that's not where God is creating the world. God is creating the world here. Now, I mean, just to, to go a little deeper, you have to understand that Judaism is what's called hardcore monotheism. You've heard of this... 
I know you believe probably from growing up in school that like there's these monotheistic traditions like Christianity, Islam, Judaism. They're all the monotheists. You have to understand there's another distinction that needs to be made. There is something called softcore monotheists and hardcore monotheists. Okay? The other religions are what are called softcore monotheists, and Judaism are called hardcore monotheists. You want to hear the difference? Softcore monotheists are the sleeper definition of monotheists, the monotheism that's not going to change your life. It's the one you learned in elementary school, the belief in one God. Okay, does that change anyone's life here to, to believe in one God? I mean, let's say I proved to you there's one God. Are you now going to change your life about such a thing? No. If anything, we lost the race. You know, like the Greeks had 2,000 gods and we had one. 2,000 to one. So, the belief in one God is softcore monotheism. You, you know what hardcore monotheism is? That, that is Judaism? It's the belief that God is one. Do you hear the difference? There's a belief in one God, meaning we're real and somewhere out there is a God. It would look something like this. We're here, there's something out there called God, and there's only one of them. The belief, which is Judaism, is that God is one, and there's no, he's indivisible by nothing, and there's nothing else that exists but God. That's hardcore monotheism. Meaning, the reason, have you ever noticed, it doesn't say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, there's one of him. It doesn't say that. What does it say? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In synagogue it says, He is oneness. There is no Shani. There's nothing but God. <coughs> Meaning this whole world is a matrix inside the mind of the creator of the universe. He is indivisible by nothing. He's divisible by nothing. He is absolute oneness, and that's why when we say Shema, to say that He really is all there is, what do we do with our right hand? We cover our eyes, because when we're saying the truth, we don't want to see the lie. This world, meaning someone's making something up. Either God's making us up, or we're making God up. But they can't both be real. Because if you say God is absolute oneness, then for there to be a world separate from God means that God has end, border, limit. He's not infinite. Does that make sense to you guys? If you say God is infinite, what's the word infinite mean? Unlimited by space and time. So if you say space and time is separate from God, you've automatically said that God ends here and the world begins there. That's why the words God created the world could be like heretical. It could be like heresy. Why? Because you're saying God created the world. I see we got to discuss this deeper. Um, what do I do with you guys? I think we're just gonna we're gonna start from scratch for a sec. We're gonna blow your minds. Okay, we'll do that instead. Okay, one second. We're, let me back things up. Okay. Let's just go to the very beginning. Before there was something, what was there? Everything. Nothing. Okay? You can say it like that too. But before there was something, there was nothing. Okay? I don't care if you're into the Big Bang. I don't care if you're into the story of Genesis. Before there was something, there was nothing. Okay. I'm going to take the... What? If you believe in God, how do you say there was nothing? 
That's why I wanted to keep speaking. Okay, let me keep speaking. Your question will be answered shortly. Before there was something, there was nothing. What does Judaism call the nothing that precedes the creation? Darkness. Darkness is something. It's an absence of light. Infinite. Close. Well, we can't conceive of nothing, but we somehow feel there's, there's before the Big Bang, let's say. There, there is such a thing as nothing. We just can't conceive of whatever that would be. Okay, even physicists know there was, there was a nothingness. They just don't know what it is. Okay, you know what we call the nothing before the something? We call it God. God is the nothing that precedes the something. God's not something. <coughs> this pen is something. It takes up time and space. I am something. I take up time and space. This chair is something. It takes up time and space. God is not something. God created time and space. He's not something. He's, he's no thing. He's not a thing. He is no thing. Now, by the way, when you we want to hear the coolest thing about this concept is that this is how an atheist can believe in God. I've had atheists in my guys raise their hand saying, that's amazing, Rabbi. Even I can believe in God. I always thought God was nothing. <laughs> Seriously. They're so happy. They're like, finally got it. Why? Because of the, the crazy definitions that that people who don't understand a little Kabbalah and don't understand, you know, in other religions or whatever, who are making God to mean something insane. So the atheist who's an intellectual says, I don't believe in that. That's crazy. So you know what I tell him? I say, the God you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. The God you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. I believe in a God that's as Judaism will tell you, is totally inconceivable. Just give me a second. Totally inconceivable. I can't get my mind around it because my mind, think about it, your mind is always couched in space and time. God's infinite. Outside space, totally beyond space and time. So God is not a thing. God precedes things and created things. Now, so the next question is, what did God create the world out of? I mean, if all there was was God, what did God use to create the world? Himself. Excellent. Alex got it. Himself. That's all there was. So God created the world out of Himself. Well, if before there was something, there was nothing called God, and God created the world out of Himself, so now that there's something, there's something called? Called God. But how do you create something from nothing? Well, according to what we're saying, he didn't really create us. We don't. We don't have what's called imperative. Have imperative existence. We, in other words, you right now. You may think you're in Jerusalem right now, according to hardcore monotheism. Okay, I know this gets a little psychedelic here, and you guys might not have, have any psychedelic ex- experience. Okay, so. But for those who don't have any psychedelic experience, this may sound like deeper than you're used to going. 
but according to hardcore monotheism, like true Jewish monotheism, we don't really exist. We are inside the mind of God. It's very much like The Truman Show, which is a great Kabbalistic film. Try to see The Truman Show and you'll understand what I mean. It's with Jim Carrey. In other words, if you had a GPS system right now, like on my palm, I have a, you know the GPS, it'll tell us that we're in Jerusalem right now. But the satellites up there and all the galaxies up there and everywhere are all inside the mind of God. GPS only can tell you your location here. In whatever this is that God's creating. But there is a there is a reality infinitely beyond it. And we are just like a synapse in God's mind. Now, tell me, which monotheism would change the way you perceive reality? The belief in one God, softcore monotheism? Or the belief that God is one? You see, the belief in God is one, it changes you. It's, it's like, wow, maybe I shouldn't yell at my girlfriend, you know? I don't know if I want to send those sound waves out. What are the sound waves made of? Well, God, ultimately. You know, I don't, I don't, I better not hit my kids. They're not really my kids. These are, this is God in the form of kids. No, it's God in the form of kids. I'm married, I'm married, I don't have a girlfriend. I'm married to God in the form of my wife. I better treat her sensitively. The people that walk by me on the street, the strangers that I walk by, the sea of strangers that you see, they're God in the form of these people with their lives. And I'm going to smile and nod, saying, you're okay in my book. You're godly. When I'm riding my mountain bike down the trail, and I see, you ever seen those ant trails where there's like thousands of ants crossing the trail? It makes like this darker line. I bunny hop over them. I'm going downhill. I bunny hop over them because who am I? Because what are those ants anyway? They're ultimately God in the form of little ants. And who am I to ride all over them like that and mess up their trail because it's all through smell. I don't want to mess up their existence. However, when I'm coming up the trail and you can't bunny hop when you're climbing a steep trail, uh, when I'm climbing up, so then I say, okay, ants, you're coming up with Rabbi Yom Tov. You know, now they're on my wheel. You know, but you know, I'm, I, but I'm gonna I'm gonna transform them into the energy of teaching my next class because when I mountain bike, when I give the animal a little ride, so I'll teach a better class afterwards. And those ants are part of it because if I stop and get off my bike in the middle of a climb, I'm not gonna feel the same afterwards. You start to tread lightly. You become more sensitive to people at work, more caring. You start to feel the sanctity of things. You understand, hardcore monotheists are sensitive. They're really sensitive. They're being careful of this world. You see, the other religions kind of have this matrix concept of God himself. Whereas we believe that Meaning they, they're, everything's inside their system, including some cockamamie belief in God, some crazy superstitious belief in God. It's all part of their matrix view. God's in the matrix for them. In Judaism, 
God creates the matrix, it's somewhere inside of God's mind. And our job in the world is to negotiate between these two voices, to fan the flames of the soul voice, which is ultimately going to connect you more and more to God. The animal voice never goes away. Otherwise, you'd never be able to have kids. You'd never get a house for yourself. You've got to shelter yourself with a home. Have children. You can't have children without an animal voice. You've got to make money. You know, you can't just give away all your money at the end of the day. Uh, what if you suppress your animal voice, but you don't substitute it with anything else? It usually is going to kick your butt a few days later. You hear what he said? What if you just suppress the animal voice and you don't give it any alternative? It'll knock you out later. Okay. Uh, yeah, Alec. This concept, you know, of monotheism God is so awesome that uh, it transcends levels of understanding that we have. However, um, you know, part of our religion are these little intricacies, uh, these little details that are very hard to grasp. If God is so awesome, why is the religion so concerned with these small details? Excellent question. You guys hear that question? Well, he's saying like, if things are this awesome and that's the big picture, so why do I have to be so worried about all these little details? The only thing I would add, I have, I have pick, uh, I have contention with in your question is you kept using the word religion because I don't know if you guys got this. I'd like to see a sign of show of hands who got this. But while I was saying that, you should have started realizing that there's religion and then there's hardcore monotheism. Yeah, there's religions and then there's, you could say, well, I don't want to say Judaism because it sounds like a religion. Raise your hand if you could just start getting, while I was talking about that concept of God, you start realizing that there's religions and then there's what it means to be a hardcore monotheist, which would be ultimate living in reality. I mean, you're more living in reality than a scientist, basically. You get that? So that, that was the only contention I had was... It was a lack of a better word. I used the word religion. Okay, so we can, let's just call it Judaism. Okay. So, um, even though it sounds like a religion. Yeah. So Judaism, Judaism is not a religion. What is it? It's, it's hardcore monotheism. Meaning, what I just said about reality, it's saying that that's reality, which you can argue with. I'm happy to argue with you but saying that that's reality. By the way, it's very cool because anyone can believe what I just said with, you know, anyone can know that. Okay, we didn't come out of the blue. Something created this place. So when you give a crazy definition of God, something like that's ridiculous. But when you're talking about God being absolutely nothing and we're inside somehow that, this, this mind of God. By the way, we do know God's mind is in, we know there's an intelligence. Just by looking at the design of creation, we know there's intelligence. Because because entropy is what takes place usually in nature, not order. But there's, a, there's this incredible order that's coming out of this nothingness. So that lends me to believe at least that God has 
there's an intelligence to whatever the nothing is it has intelligence uh, well, let me answer his question for I didn't answer the question so we got the details question who cares what what whether I eat this or eat that who cares whether I light a match and smoke a cigarette on Shabbos or not what's the difference why do I have to be involved in all these little details if it's that great let me just meditate on it and be done with it you know why the detail okay so there's a couple answers for that number one is we're just going to go very simple at first God rendezvoused with us on, at Sinai, which you should verify yourselves. Don't take my word for it. <laughs> Dr. Rabbi Goldstein, he's like amazing on these details. But um, but I also taught on courses about that. But it's not our class now. God rendezvoused with Moses at Sinai, with us at Sinai for the first commandments and and ultimately the Jews in the desert, all the miracles and whatever. But God rendezvoused with us and gave us the. Torah. Well, guess what? The Torah has, you know, 613 commandments. So the first answer is just a very simple answer because God said so. Meaning, if I can verify God gave the Torah at Sinai, like I can verify I have five fingers on my hand, like I can verify my mother's my mother. I mean, any of you do a DNA test on your mother? You know that's your mother. So I, I promise you guys, if you put your heads to it, you could get more clarity that God gave the Torah to Sinai than your mother's your mother. Yet you always treat your mother as your mother. You can, meaning this is available. This is intellectual property that you can have. But the Torah itself gives 613 commandments. But I don't think that was your question. I think your question was a higher level of, of well, why would God do that? Yeah. You understand? Why would God give that? You hear the difference? What's, what, is, what is God like uh, trying to make us crazy with all these details? So the answer is like this. give you an hour and five minutes okay I don't know how but it's somehow it's going to work okay it works like this actually I think we can do it straight up where we were so God creates the world out of himself okay well how did God do that so the answer is that the Kabbalists and the physicists say the same exact thing what do physicists say the world comes from light energy okay light the world's really coming light becomes matter how it does that they theorize it's hard to know because you don't have can't measure the stuff. You can only theorize from the quantum level. Light became matter. Well, guess what? Kabbalists say that the same thing, that the world, that God radiated light into the system. Well, that's not going to help very much because light's just going to make light. It's going to make light. You didn't get anything. Or you're going to get as much of light. So what happened was God filtered that light so that there would be a enough filtered out light so that there would be a physical realm so that there could be physicality meaning the physicality comes from the filtering of God's infinite light okay I'm giving you guys like deep Kabbalistic stuff but like in the in the shorthand version you guys all have an example of this by the way you know what your example is I'll give you one right now can you guys see my shadow on the wall 
Okay? That shadow on the wall is where the light isn't. When you see a film, let's say you're watching a film in Harrison Ford, see Mad Max? That's where you can see where I left off films. Oh, that was Mel Gibson. We don't like him. So Harrison Ford. Yeah, Harrison Ford's not an anti-Semite, by the way. I mean, Mel Gibson's not an anti-Semite, of course, unless he drinks. Unless he drinks. You know, they used to have a joke in in Russia. They used to say uh, they used to say the difference between a a, a regular a nice gentile and an anti-Semitic gentile is two cups of whiskey. <laughs> That's what they used to say. That was an old joke. But, you know, everyone, today, people are like, that's, you know, that's really racist about Gentiles, you know. Comes along Mel Gibson, you know. (laughs) There it is. You know, it's back. So, you see Harrison Ford in the film. Do you realize that when you watch the screen of that film, what you're seeing is where the light isn't? Darker colors, let's say his belt's black. Darker colors is where, you know, it really took all the light out. Uh, red shirt he's wearing is, you know, a lot of light was taken out, but not as much as his yellow frames of the sunglasses, which had less light taken out. You're seeing where the light isn't. Well, God emanated the world with light, and it's very cool that the physicists figured this out as well. But God emanated the world with light. Well, light only creates light. But when you filter light, it creates physicality, an image of something. Again, we're going to be getting psychedelic here again. But but it's light being filtered to create some kind of physical something. Now, the physical world that you're in right now, like this room, is where the light isn't. Meaning, when someone says, oh, I wish I could see God, you have to realize how ridiculous that statement is. Because if you saw God, you wouldn't exist to see God. The only reason you exist is because that light that God's emanating is removed for you to be here. You know the word for world in Hebrew? It's olam. Olam. You know the word for hidden is in Hebrew? Olam. Same exact word. The word for world and the word for hidden. Because for there be the world, God has to be hidden. There has to be this absence of light for there to be a world. Clear? So, therefore, what is this world ultimately made of? What is, what's another word for the absence of light? Darkness. So this world is called the world of darkness because, because the light doesn't permeate the system. And we're not discussing sunlight. Sunlight itself is made of something, which is filtered light to create a sun. Anything physical is filtered light of the infinite. I'll just follow up on that very quickly. So there's this filter and and so and the reflection is the physicality. So when we pray, what are we trying to do when we pray? And you're going into detail now. I'm getting to detail. That's now detail. We're not there yet. Now the world is made out of physicality, otherwise known as darkness. Now darkness has different categories. There are 365 categories of darkness that are so dark that you cannot... I went too fast. Let's go like this again, okay? So the light gets filtered out, creates a physical world. The physical world is called 
darkness. What would you say might be our job here? Go to light. To go to light or or to squeeze the light out of this world. When I take a banana, it's made of that darkness. But how can I squeeze the light out of that banana? Because it's ultimately made from God, of God, really. How do I squeeze the light out of that banana? Well, a couple of things. I can make a blessing. First of all, more than anything, if it's in Israel, I want to make sure there's been the. You have to separate parts for the Kohanim and the Levites. First, I want to make sure it's been separated, because otherwise, it's kryptonite in Israel. If you live in New York, you can eat the banana right off the shelf. If you live in Israel, there's laws and things grown in the land of Israel need to be separated to the Kohen or the Levite. If not, it's like kryptonite for your soul. So whenever you, we, we're going to be feeding you food throughout your stay here. All that food you'll be eating, every net thing that was grown in the land of Israel will be separated. We're brewing beer right now in my, I have a facility where we're brewing beer and I, I asked the guy who's brewing it this time, I asked him, uh, did you separate the tithes of the, of the hops and the barley and stuff? He said, I brought it all from America. I said, oh, okay, no problem. He just arrived from America with a, a kit of uh, stuff to use for brewing. It was separated. That's why beer from Israel is a little dangerous. It's got to, you got to make sure it's got a proper kosher stamp. Whereas beer from America doesn't matter. Because they, they don't have to tithe it. Tithe means to separate. Separate the gift. One sec. One, one, I'm going to lose it totally if you ask right now. One sec. The way I raise that banana is A, make sure it's not from the dark side. By the way, do you believe, would you say there's probably, remember your question, his question about the detail, you believe there's probably a negative commandment about eating that banana if it was not first tithed, first, you know, separated? You bet there is. There's a negative commandment not to eat produce that had not been tithed yet. So that's part of the 365, because you know what the 365 categories are? The negative commandments. By no coincidence, has to do with the solar calendar, 365, natural world. Okay, don't get too involved in it. So, so that banana. First thing is, I got to make sure it's been tithed. Now, second thing. From what? Like from what? Tied, separated. From what? It's got a, I got this massive thing of bananas. Some have to go to Kohanim. Some have to go to the Levi, Levites. I have to take some off and give them as gifts. If I don't do that, then the whole thing is like poisonous spiritually. Because they're higher than we are, and we have to. That's what I was explaining. I thought I explained that. In the land of Israel, produce needs to be have. Didn't I say this? In the land of Israel, the law of the Torah is to separate the tithes and make sure you don't eat them if they're not tithed, if they're not separate. The word tithe means to separate. Okay, fine. Now, what's another way to raise that banana? Make a blessing on the banana. Now, I've done two things so far. I avoided eating something that was untithed, but then I positively, I proactively made a blessing. Now I eat the banana. What else can I do to raise that banana? What else can I do to send that banana back to the light? Well, I can make an after blessing. That sends it up. The next thing, now my body's getting all the potassium, 
inside that banana and everything else that banana gives me, what's the next thing I can do to raise that banana? Take its energy that it's going to now feed my bloodstream with potassium and other things and do good things with it. What I'm trying to say is there are positive... This world is a world of darkness. God gave us the details of what part of the darkness is just going to make you more... It's going to... You know, as if you could thicken the darkness. There are 365 ways to thicken the darkness and make it even darker. When you are careful and avoid those 365... Now, can you imagine it's really just 365 or really each one's a hyperlink? They're really categories. They're hyperlinks. And when I do one of the positive commandments... But those are hyperlinks too. Like one positive commandment is tefillin, let's say. When I click on the word tefillin, there's hundreds of laws how to make it, how to make it, how to put it on. You know, there's more laws in tefillin than all of the world's religions put together. And that's only one of the 613 commandments. Meaning if you take all the world's religions and put all their laws together, we'll even touch all the laws involved in just making the pair of tefillin. Not to mention the laws and how to wear them and all that stuff. It, you understand there's like tremendous detail here. By the way, this is one of the proofs of Torah. That Torah is from Sinai. You, anyone get that? Because, think about it, if we were making our own religion, wouldn't you like take it easy on the, take it easy on the people who are going to be the practitioners? You understand? Do you realize we just said that one mitzvah of 613 hyperlinks has more laws than all the world's religions put together? It's tough to do. Meaning it's totally unmarketable. You would never have found anyone to do it. The only possible way is that something must have happened that caused the nation to say, wow, something had to happen. Because you could never, you'll see, like, you, you can never really get there if you don't, if Sinai didn't happen. Because no one would ever do it. Okay, so, you know what I realized? we got to beat this further, but not right now. Are you getting some of it already? Yeah. It's a world of darkness. Basically what I'm saying now, it's a world, the world's made of an absence of, inf- of light, of the infinite. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.